Well, thank you for being here tonight. Uh, let me just kind of give you an outline of what is going to take place so that you can already begin to prepare. Uh, because this is a, an interactive service, it's a prayer service. We have uh, finishing off the day of prayer and fasting for our congregation, and so we want this to be a participatory uh, evening of prayer. So let me just help you know uh, when uh, uh, the right opportunity will be for you to come and pray. Um, we sing a few worship songs. Right now, Mark and Meredith are going to come up. Go ahead and come on up, Mark and Meredith. And Brandon and Megan are going to come up as well. And we're going to hear from them. Uh, part of this service is a commissioning service. Uh, so we're going to hear Mark and Meredith's story. Um, Brandon and Megan uh, serve on the board of Work of the Potter. Is that right? Um, if you're also a board member, would you just stand? There's Courtney, right? Who else? Anybody else here? Dreebs. There's Kim. Josh is on there, right? No? Yes. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for your support. Uh, thank you, Ridgeline folks, and thank you, uh, friends and family of the DeStefanos. Uh, so we'll hear from them. Uh, we'll hear from um, Brandon and, and Megan a little bit about how we can best support them. Then I'm going to give them, um, yeah, I don't know what we call it up here, but in um, Baptist world down in the south, we would call this a charge or like a commissioning service. But I don't know if that resonates up here. I don't know if we know what that is, but I'll explain what that is is in a 10 or 15 minute Bible study uh, towards the end of our time. And then after that, um, we're going to invite you to um, find an appropriate posture for prayer. And we're going to spend a good bit of time praying for uh, the Stefano family. They're going to come and fill this front row. And if you feel comfortable, we're going to get in a vicinity near them. And I've asked some people to come and pray, but it's really just going to be an opportunity for all of us to pray, uh, whether you're staying in your chairs and praying for them or whether you're coming over and praying out loud or, or whether there's just something deeper on your heart and, and you just need maybe to spend some time in prayer by yourself or maybe you'd like to grab somebody else and, and go back to one of these side rooms and pray. Uh, we, we do have an election coming up this week and, and so uh, one of the things that I've, I've encouraged our congregation to remember is that um, you're not going to see Donald Trump or Joe Biden in the grocery store next week, but you're going to see your neighbors. And so you still have to maintain a normal relationship with people that seem like your enemies right now. Um, but our deepest call is to sh promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and not a, um, a politician or anything like that. We're citizens of another country, and yet we still have a responsibility to be salt and light in this culture. And part of that is loving our neighbor really well, whether we agree with him politically or not. And so this is another opportunity for us to gather as a body and to pray for our country, to pray for our leaders as the Bible commands us to do, uh, to acknowledge them as God's authority. Um, and so we want to do that. We want to spend a night just in prayer. And so then we'll finish up and Nicole and Julie will come and lead us in another song. Okay. Probably confused everybody. I don't know if I'm any clearer on it, but um, you have a mic. You have a mic. Yep, we're good. Good. Why don't you introduce Texas. yourselves? Tell us your favorite color. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that nice icebreaker. <laughs> Well, it's good to see everybody. Um, I haven't seen a few of you in a long time in person or on the computer, so it's nice to see faces now. <laughs> um, thanks for coming out. It's, a, it's kind of a whirlwind event for us uh, to be able to be up here. Um, our journey has been kind of long and 
great and hard at the same time, and we're happy to share that with you. Um, and just remember, this is about God, right? So it's all about giving Him the glory, and hopefully our uh, story is inspiring to point others to Jesus and how you can just kind of dig in and serve hard. So um, I'm Mark. I knew most of you, and not some of you. I can see some faces I just don't, I've never met you before. Um, so I'm Mark, and this is Meredith. Um, we're the Stefanos. We have four kids in the second row here. You guys want to just stand up real quick? We'll make it awkward to get out of the way. <laughs> I asked somebody wanted to say anything, and they all said no. So that's what you get. So Aiden, he's 14, or almost 14. Liam's 12. Nolan's almost nine. And Emerson, can you see her above the chairs? She's six. Raise your hand. Nope. <laughs> so this is the Stefano clan. So you guys can sit. Thanks. Um, so I'll introduce Brandon and Megan as well. They've been friends for uh, several years now and have kind of been in the uh, trenches with us as we've been going through this process. Uh, they're part of our board. They're kind of our <laughs> get things done. When our heads are foggy and cloudy and not sure what to do next, they kind of say, ABC, go do it, and then get back to us. So we really appreciate that. <laughs> Well, great. Um, you know, when I first uh, spent some time with you guys, we took a class together a couple years ago, a missions class at Lighty's Church, and it was... Um what was the name of that class? Uh, perspectives on the world Christian, the global Christian movement or something like that. Missions movement. Very impactful class, you can tell. <laughs> what was that called again? Yeah, a lot of sleeping in the background. <laughs> but it was a good class. Um, I saw the two of you there um, faithfully uh, studying and preparing and taking notes. So tell us a little bit about how, what led you from um, just a, a normal suburban family to selling all your possessions and moving to Guatemala and tell us about your calling yeah it, it, yeah, we were never normal to begin with. <laughs> it was super simple. It was just like that, you know. Um, well, that class was pretty impactful for us, and that was actually after we felt called to go, but that class really um, opened our eyes to the Bible. It's one of those times in your life where you just kind of have a new lens to read the Bible through and how you know the nations and people groups kind of all stick out to God's command and, and to uh, serve. So just that class alone was pretty... Um, um, critical in our just viewpoint on how we're supposed to be reading the Bible and following the Bible. Um, but it kind of all started um, a long time ago. We joke a lot because when we even consider being missionaries, we were, where do missionaries, missionaries come from? Like you were supposed to be born a missionary here, just kind of come from this long lineage of missionaries. It was like a new concept entirely uh, for us, and we can just we laugh at it still, and it's just a joke for us. Um, but we have had no, in the past, no uh, desire or no calling or no idea of what we're supposed to be doing um, in the mission field, or if that was even a thing for us. Um, so we started serving in short-term missions, um, down in Guatemala, and that was really the, the time when we got it, when we started understanding that there's more to our life in suburbia or in this country. There's a whole world out there that is lost and that is broken and could use some some God. And um, that was, for me personally, I'm not sure about for you, but that, that was eye-opening for me. I actually left my first mission trip thinking, I'm good. I'll never go back, honestly. And then the next year was like <laughs> boot camp.
camp from God, just like, <laughs> all right. And in that time frame, um, my my life changed. You know, it was he can completely transform my heart and my desires, and the things of the world became nothing really. So that was uh, kind of our jump start into it. Um, I was going to say in the beginning here that. Um, if you asked me five years ago, or told me five years ago, I'd be standing up here telling everybody that I'd be taking my family to a foreign country to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have said, that's, that's not what my spreadsheet says. I have, a, I have a nicely planned out Excel spreadsheet that says five, ten year plan. I probably have a couple alternatives just in case, and that was probably it. If you asked me ten years ago, or told me ten years ago, I probably would have told you, um, I'm not even sure where a missionary is, I couldn't define it for you. If you asked me 15 years ago when we got married, um, and my in-laws can attest to this, after a horrible uh, start to a, a honeymoon, and we came back from the honeymoon, I think my words were, I will never leave this country ever again. There's plenty of places to, to visit in the United States. So it's funny how God works. So everybody listening, just take note of this date. Yeah, don't say this. Five years from now, you'll probably be on the stage. Right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you asked me 20 years ago that I'd be moving my family to a foreign country to show the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have asked you, who is Jesus Christ? Wow. That's amazing. seriously. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's been a journey. That's fantastic. Well, Meredith, what's your story on your side? How did the calling develop? Um, it's, uh, as I've listened to your story, I've, I've heard it a few times, but just for others who've never heard it, how did you come to this conclusion as well? Um, I guess similarly, I didn't really set out to be a missionary. I had been doing um, a lot of work in our church with youth group and women's ministry and things like that, and just really enjoyed doing that just really got to this point where the Lord was really working in my own heart and you know through a lot of prayer just surrendered a lot of my life to him and just that point where looking at where he had been and these goals like Mark said these dreams of you know what will we do our house and wouldn't it be nice to have this and put on this edition all these silly seemingly silly things now um, that I just handed it over and said it's not my life it's your life so show us what you want to do tell me what you want me to do it's yours and heartfelt fully meant that. And so after that, kind of everything started to change. His word looked different. Um, the commands looked different. They were stronger. Um, you could tell there's just like such a draw on our hearts, specifically mine. I can only speak for myself to go. And so like Mark said, we started doing short-term missions. And Julie and I were joking earlier because I would go on these trips and come back and share with a lot of my girlfriends from homeschool. And a couple of them apparently were talking about how we were going to move, unbeknownst to us, because we didn't know that we were going to do this, but apparently they all did. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting how the Lord kind of shows other people before he shows you. But um, yeah, so we kind of started that way. And then when I had felt like after these short-term missions that the Lord was kind of calling us to it, I just started praying about it. I didn't talk to Mark about it because I felt like I don't want to influence him. I just kind of want the Lord to be the one who puts it on his heart if that's for him. Because again, he had said like, uh, this is not for me, not coming back. So I was like, all right, Lord, well, you told me, am I leaving without him? <laughs> like, What's the situation? So I just started praying and I started asking the Lord to reveal it if that was his will. And then sure enough, uh, one day Mark came to me and just said, I just really feel like the Lord's saying that we need to be in Guatemala. So I was like, oh, what a coincidence. That's what he told me too. So <laughs> same, same thing. Thank God. That would have been super awkward. <laughs> to raise your children so yeah. far apart. I'm taking these two. You take those two. It'll be great. <laughs> 
it started and what, it, what came about. That's fantastic. Uh, well, one of the things I remember from that class is that if the world was divided into four worlds, missiologists do that, they say world A, World A is where we live, where there's plenty of access to the Bible, there's plenty of access to a local church, there's plenty of access to the gospel. Um, most people in World A could identify a neighbor or a friend or a coworker or a family member who is a Christ follower, and they could hear the gospel at a moment's notice if they needed to. Um, world A is the most Christian world, according to missiologists, those who study the work of missions. World B, uh, they don't have direct access to the gospel. Uh, world C, they have even less. Uh, world D would be those who are furthest away. And World D has very little, they don't have likely a translation of the Bible. Uh, there are 99.9% um, uh, .9 of the population would not be Christian at all or would be some other religion. And the startling thing to me about that statistic in that class was that 90% of the Christian kingdom resources stay in world A. Very convicting, as we sit in a renovated room. Um, and yet, very little of it gets to world B, or to world C, or to world D. Um, we're, as a church, part of our uh, long-term vision is to invest less in our local world A and more abroad. And you were the first uh, recipients of some of that support. 10% uh, of our um, recent sale of a softball field is committed to the De Stefanos and to the work of missions over the next five years in Guatemala. And we're thrilled for that because it's, it's uh, a good start and a terrible end, you know, place to stop. But hopefully the, the beginning of an increasing budget for our local church to reach people in worlds B, C, and D. Uh, that's a long way to set up a question of what do you feel like or what do you sense um, your work and mission and as much as you know now, what do you feel like God is going to uh, lead you to be involved in when you get to, is it called Corban? Coban. 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 Um, while we were praying back there, I was quick Googling because I have it saved and then it was my turn to pray so I had to shut it off real quick because I don't want to... It's Guatemala, not guacamole either. Did I say no idea? Don't do that to me. <laughs> when you get to guacamole... So when you get to Coban, what do you anticipate, at least what ministry focal area, what, what do you sense the, the ministry is going to look like when you get there? Yeah, so um, from the beginning, our hearts have been around family ministry. Um, so that's going to be our kind of jumping in point. Uh, through those short-term missions trips, we've been able to meet a great couple from Alabama <laughs> that had started a children's home in, outside of Coban, not in the same town that we are living in. Um, and they've been there for about 10 years. And they um, so basically a privately run, run children's home that re they receive children from the government that have been pulled from their homes from situations that are probably hard for us to wrap our heads around. And then they care for them and then they really don't have much control. They can go back to the same situation, whether it be an abusive parent or guardian or what have you. They could be uh, given back to a different family member that might be the similar situation, maybe a little bit better. There's not, not a whole lot of control there. Um, 
our starting point is really to work alongside that children's home and to be the family ministry arm of that that um, that unit there to work with the, the parents and the the guardians to see you know from an education standpoint from a gospel standpoint from a practical standpoint really investing in them so that when they receive these children back they have a better chance better opportunity to uh, to love them to care for them to you know, our, our prayers that they love the Lord and they can raise those children loving the Lord so uh, that's our starting point as we know their plans can change there but that's where we're gonna begin all right fantastic uh, does anybody have any questions that you would like to ask uh, Mark and Meredith um, details or specifics about uh, life there any questions at all you have a tentative launch date right it's not tentative anymore. <laughs> you bought the ticket today. You did. Yeah. That? January 7th. January 7th. So um, we're going to see you around for a couple more months. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's good. That's um, yeah. Lord willing, as long as the borders stay open and there's no hiccups there, we'll be heading out January 7th. Uh, Brandon and Megan will get into this in just a second of how we can best support you as a congregation. But if you had to name a couple of um, high-priority prayer uh, requests that need to take place over the next couple months, what, what comes to mind? What do you think, Meredith? Um, I guess just overall prayer for just like peace of mind, um, just a low level of stress, which is seemingly impossible, but we know that God can make that possible. Um, there's just a lot with our family. Our house settles, again, Lord willing, December 15th. Um, so just packing everything up and... It's, I'm one of those people who, I love my home, but I look at it and I kind of, I don't think too much about it right now because that's very painful, obviously. But I think just surrounding that, just prayer for that, for us and for our kids, because I know that it's one thing to talk about it, but to walk out the door is totally different. We've raised our kids there and we love our home. So just for strength to be able to actually follow through with these things. Um, so details about traveling in like January causes a lot of anxiety. <laughs> we each get three bags. So between all of us, that's 21 bags and two dogs and four children. So <laughs> but um, that's a big prayer request. Um, I'm trying to think just continued financial support I guess too um, we have we still have a gap in funding which we've already you know between us and the Lord he told us to go and we're gonna go and we're fully trusting him that he's gonna provide because he has this entire time we have no doubt that he would do any differently in the next uh, few months so I guess for that and for our family that is in Guatemala waiting for us um, for them and for the orphanage and for the kids there and the people that God has waiting for us to meet and to share the gospel with well, I was touched, uh, genuinely touched by your September um, newsletter. And if you're not on their newsletter email uh, list, you can sign up out there in the back room. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a little bit. Last month in September, you said thinking of leaving our home has been a bit challenging for all of us. 
the most obvious because we will desperately miss our friends and family. I could not create a better support system than what we have here if I tried. When I thought about that, uh, we've known you guys for um, a few years and we have a tight community of friends. And um, when you were at another church and um, I heard that things weren't uh, progressing, um, you were a no-brainer in my mind at that time that I said, just and it, whenever you're ready, just come to this church and we will fast track you as quick as we can in full support. And I know that if I felt that way, that you have board and family and friends that also uh, desperately support you. And so to read that was very touching. Um, the many relationships that you have, you wrote about. Difficult also will be saying goodbye to our home. We've lived in a lot of places, but this has been one of our favorite houses. It's housed donkeys and chickens, lots of dogs, not all inside, right? Just <laughs> on the property. Um, but then what you wrote next in the next paragraph, how can we as a family hold on to something that God has given us after he asked us to surrender it? Uh, what a move of maturity, spiritual maturity and grace and uh, acknowledging who owns everything ultimately and to hold something back that he has given to you and ask you to surrender was a big step of faith and so I'm very um, proud of you and look up to you both in many ways and um, and appreciate just you're a very good writer I don't know if you write these Mark do you no <laughs> I was going to give you a little bit of credit but Meredith uh, they're very good I send them out so Hey, we can't all be the eye and the ear and the, we each have our part. Uh, I made a copy of your October newsletter and have made them available back here. I think there's 25 or so. So if you'd like to take a copy of that uh, and grade Meredith and her grammar and syntax, that's great. Homeschooling skill. <laughs> We're going to see how your children will do in homeschooling. Well, uh, before, I don't want to take too long um, in rambling, but Brandon and Megan, tell us about yourself and tell us how you fit into this puzzle and tell us how we as Christ followers can support the DeStefanos. Sure. So my name is Brandon. This is my wife, Megan. Uh, we have uh, one son. His name is Isaac. He's two and a half, and we have one on the way, as you can see. Um, and so we've been friends with the DeStefanos for, I guess, maybe five years now or something like that. Um, and I can attest to Mark's testimony because I witnessed, I was a witness of one of his, or Mark's, we were on a hike about five years ago after he just got back from a short-term trip and the leader of that trip had come up to Mark on the bus uh, and said, I could see you guys living here. And he's, he told me, he said, no way. <laughs> I, I told him no way. So I can attest that he's five years ago, he said no way to my face <laughs> and now he's here. Um, so yeah, so we've been uh, friends with them for, for a while and we, um, just have heard them over the years talk about Guatemala, going there on short-term mission trips, and then eventually making the decision to follow the Lord's calling to go there. Um, and so we fit into that, I guess, um, just, I guess just by being there. We're just friends, and they had asked us, so 
they didn't have ascending church. As you had said, it kind of fell apart. Um, things fell through the cracks uh, at our old church. And so our ascending, our, we call it, I guess, our support team now. We originally called ourselves ascending team because they didn't have ascending church. So we were fully prepared. Well, I don't know if we were prepared, but we were fully, <laughs> we were, yeah, we're fully committed and expecting for us nine, or now 11 of us, to, send, to be the sending team, to be their full support. Um, we didn't know that the Lord had Ridgeline you know, on deck to come up and, and assist us. So um, Ridgeline Church is definitely an answer to, uh, to prayer for that aspect of it, and we're excited to work alongside of Ridgeline in supporting them. Um, and do you have anything else to say about that? Um, so we wrote down a couple things about what we do as a support team, and now it's kind of an extension to Ridgeline um, because now you, all, you guys are their support as well. So our goal as uh, the work of the Potter support team is to assist, support, and encourage the Stephanos in every way that we can as they follow the Lord's calling to Guatemala. We strive to and uh, want to make their mission our mission. The Lord has called them to go, but he has called us to be senders. Um, and so we try to take that role very seriously. And uh, Megan always comes ready and prepared for meetings with the whole spreadsheet of things we're going to talk about and you know, goals to meet. And then she sends out minutes afterwards to make sure that we're meeting those things. So we take it, try to take it very seriously um, and just be a part of that mission. Um, we try to prioritize praying for the Stephanos and those that they encounter now and those who, people who they will encounter. And that's something I think that I would encourage you guys to do, um, you know, they have two months left here, so I would encourage you, if you don't know them, to get to know them, to get to know their kids uh, and their names, um, so that way you can be intentionally and individually praying for them specifically. Um, each one will have their own victories and their own, you know, times of sorrow and their own needs, so to pray for them specifically and individually I think would be really special. Um, we try to encourage them throughout the whole process just by, um, you know, hanging out through phone calls and texts and getting dinner and, and all that kind of thing. Um, we provide spiritual support and accountability to the family. This isn't just us. It's the whole team, by the way. Um, and we also try to handle as many logistical things as we can to take the burden off of them. They are already in the mindset of giving everything up and leaving everything behind. The last thing we want them to worry about is like how they're going to, what health care they're going to get or how they're going to get the dogs on the plane. So we're trying to take care of that as much as we can. And that'll be, um, we'll send out those kinds of details and prayer emails too for ways that you guys can support them in that way as well. Um, I think there's already like an Amazon gift list or wish list of ibuprofen bundles. and. Yes, yeah, so we're going to have like a whole bandages. donation list of things that we could buy and we'll either send it down there in a box um, or whenever someone might go down there from here they can take it down um, so there's just things down there that they can't get that we'll have to get from up here um, we, uh, we plan fundraising events when necessary. Um, so I know a lot of you were at the air plant sale that we had at the uh, Penridge Airport in the, I guess, last winter already. So we do that. Um, and then hopefully we'll just work alongside Ridgeline as far as um, facilitating and coordinating short-term teams to go down and to come alongside Mark and Mare and the kids and provide them some spiritual uh, 
I don't know what you'd call it, just some spiritual rest and uh, to work alongside them to see what they're doing and, and to be a part of that. Um, we have monthly meetings, so we, we try, to, try to meet once a month and to do all these things and to just to shower them and cover them in prayer. Um, and I guess above all, I would say that in every meeting we always pray um, and it's our desire as a team that we would do nothing without the spirits, uh, without the spirits moving, that we yield completely or we try to yield completely to the spirit um, because this is his mission and he's just bringing them along with and now we're a part of it too. And now you guys are a part of it too. Um, but we, we don't want to do anything that's not from the Lord um, because his ways are, are better than ours. Um, so that's just a couple things that, that our team does. And so I hope that you can take some of those things as the church and kind of take them as your own. Um, I think prayer is a huge one. Just there's no amount of money that can, you know, buy prayer and the faith that comes from that. Um, so really just I would intentionally uh, pray for them. They have prayer cards back there, too. So take one of those. There's magnets and then there's also just postcards. Put it somewhere where, that you'll see every day um, so you can you can pray for them. Um, I think that's kind of all I have. Here. Anything you would add, Megan? Um, yeah. Megan is the public speaker of the group, is that right? <laughs> Um, and just to like maybe we could be able to send out emails like if they do need things like there are things that like the nine of us do not have access to so just to be able to reach out to other people that might have access to or know people that we could through connections um, just like meet needs that they have or um, like I know they were looking for a place to store things for a while I don't know if that's still the case and I said something about basements maybe but just you know like the few things that they're choosing to keep out of everything that they're you know letting go of just to find a place to keep it safe and um, just like things like that to be able to reach out and um, ask for help for things that we don't have access to and then also like any ideas for fundraisers like things like that um, and you can be a part of the fundraisers and um, we're just excited to have you guys join us and just I mean bring your ideas like if you want to be part of this support team that meets monthly like we would love to have more people and more ideas and just brainstorming um, but yeah we're just super excited to have more minds and more brain power behind everything so yeah <laughs> great any questions for either the Tarbies or the DeStefanos Yes, Carol. I'm curious, are you guys going under the auspices of a mission board, or are you, you know, um, so the work of the Potter support team, that's just the name that um, Megan and uh, Brandon, that you guys, that's the name of the support team, right? Yeah, correct. We're actually um, not being not going down under a major sending organization. We're actually going under um, the orphanage that's down there. They have a kind of a broader um, nonprofit organization called Mission Vida Nueva, and under that they have the orphanage. They have a village ministry, and we will be the family ministry arm of that that ministry of the village ministry of the kind of an overarching nonprofit where you have orphanage village and now family ministry okay. and that's mission villa nueva yep Vida mission Vida nueva villa is how we say it in the <laughs> villa nueva i don't know how we say it in pennsylvania 
Wieder. Good question, Carol. Uh, the Ridge Line is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and as the Southern Baptist Convention, we pull 10% of all of our funds. Really, one of the only two or three distinctives of Southern Baptist churches is they pull their money in support of missionaries through the cooperative program. Uh, the majority of our funding, Ridge Line, uh, sends 6% to the cooperative program that funds, uh, I think at this point, it's 3,200 worldwide missionaries. Uh, we have chosen as a congregation with our autonomy uh, from the SBC to withhold 4%, and 4% of our general budget of our tithe goes to support um, Seth Hogan uh, and his work in missions uh, here locally. Uh, it will include the DeStefanos. Uh, it includes Benevolence Ministries. And so we have chosen to... Um, donate 6% to the larger mission work through the Southern Baptist Convention and withhold 4% for our own discretion to use because we, um, we value local people who uh, are raised up and called by God that are a part of our own congregation. There's just something special about being able to pre-COVID reach out and you know, <laughs> shake somebody's hand in your church and see them week after week. Love the SBC, love the IMB, the International Mission Board, but I just don't know the 3,200 missionary families there. But we fully support the work that they do. Uh, but we also choose with 4% to, to, um, to financially support local missions. And so that's not denominationally related. Um, I don't think the Hogans were SBC folks, and neither were the DeStefanos. Many people at our church don't even know it's a Southern Baptist church because we're, um, we, uh, we try to wave the banner of Jesus Christ and the gospel and uh, don't let our denominational differences divide us, but we focus on what unites us, which is the gospel and good doctrine. All right. Thank you guys for coming up here. Um, they'll be around afterward if you would like to um, ask them questions as well. Give them a hand as they uh, step down. Thank you, guys. Um, I have prepared just a, a short Bible study, and it's basically what we would call a charge. It's more of a commissioning that um, it's a Bible study that describes the work of missions, and it's, it's at the same time uh, a bit of a pep talk and a, um, a, co a commitment speech or talk for the DeStefanos as they go out. Just things to remember. So, um, um, you know, as we think about the way God works, and Mark described it perfectly, is that the Lord calls people to himself first. He said 25 years ago or 20 years ago, if you'd asked him what he was going to do, he would not have said that. He would not have even known Jesus Christ. The calling of God, God, um, as you think about in Genesis 11, the calling uh, Abraham and um, choosing him in Genesis 12 and asking him to move, God individually choosing people and calling them into a relationship with himself and then equipping them, building them, and encouraging them, fellowshipping, building intimacy between God through a right relationship with Jesus Christ, then sending them out. Um, the clearest example of this is Mark 3.14. Jesus called the apostles, it says, to be with him so that he might send them out. 
And the distinction, the order there is important. He called the disciples to be with him, and they spent time traveling with him, walking with him, experiencing a relationship with him. No one goes out on missions until they're first called to Jesus Christ. No one goes out into ministry until they first have a connection to God through Jesus Christ, and they've learned to trust, and they've learned to serve, and they've learned humility, and they've learned sacrifice, and they've learned to love the least of these, and they've gone through their own sort of boot camp as God progressively sanctifies them and makes them in His image, God calls people like you to Himself through Jesus Christ for redemption, for reconciliation. And as He grows you, He gives you ministry and opportunity to go. It says Jesus called them to be with Him so that He might send them out and that they might be sent out to preach. That's the arc of disciple-making. That first we're called into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and then we're built up in Him, and then we're sent out with the gospel message. Ephesians 2.13 says it this way, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He calls you to Himself. Your first great calling is not to some overseas exotic mission field. Your first calling is to your private prayer closet to experience intimacy and humility with God the Father through Jesus Christ uh, as the Holy Spirit leads. That's the very first thing He calls you to is Himself. Think about the Apostle Paul in Acts Chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, Paul uh, says, Now, as he went on his way, Paul, the mean guy, right? You remember Paul, the mean one, was going to arrest Christians in Damascus. And in chapter 9, verse 3, Suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. That's an example of Paul being called first to Jesus Christ. Blinded for three days, uh, unable to see, lost his vision, led by hand into the city of Damascus. Then while Paul was in Damascus, we read about a disciple named Ananias who was called to go and lay hands on Paul. And the language there is Ananias, he's my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles, go and tell him all that he must suffer. What a calling, right? <laughs> called him to himself, called him generally to go to the Gentile world to suffer, suffer immediately within three days. Then a few years later, Paul and Barnabas were at the church in Antioch, and in a prayer service, in a worship service, um, all the elders of the church and the people worshiping together in this prayer and fasting service, um, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. See how God is doing that? He's calling you generally to himself. Then he's narrowing that call to a specific area. Then he's setting you apart within the context of community and fellowship into a mission. And then throughout that call, you can see as Paul went on these missionary journeys, he had it in his heart to go into Asia, and he had a vision of a Macedonian man who was saying, Paul, come to us. And he went to um, Macedonia where he continued ministry. God broadly called him 
And then, then the, the call was continually narrowed until Paul knew exactly where he was going and exactly what he was doing. And one of the most beautiful aspects of God's calling is who he chooses to use. You would think that God would call the best and the brightest and the smartest and the most uh, gifted and leadership and eloquence, right? But it's just not the case as you look through Scripture. I came across this quote from a woman named Christine Kane, and she said, God deliberately chooses imperfect vessels. Those who have been wounded, those with physical or emotional limitations, then he prepares them to serve and sends them out with their weaknesses still in evidence so that his strength can be made perfect in that weakness. And I can testify to the truth of that. In Corinthians, Paul said it's not the strong that God calls, but the weak. He calls those who are most dependent, those through whom he receives the most glory. And I know that, uh, that the DeStefanos would attest to that, that, that they are imperfect vessels chosen by a perfect God to shine his light and glory through. Someone else has said that we have cracks so that the glory of God can shine through. Well, when Paul went into Macedonia, he went to a place in Philippi, and in Acts 16, 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to some of the women who had come together. Just by reading Acts 16.13, you may not realize the significance of that, but in Acts 16.13, in the city of Philippi, uh, you can read a lot of things into that passage just through cultural context and clues. In order to have a formal synagogue, you had to have uh, at least 10 men who were God-fearers before a rabbi could be sent and the word of God and scrolls could be given and money raised and an official synagogue could, be, uh, could, could meet there. In addition to that, you had to have a culture that was welcoming and friendly to a synagogue and to the message of the Bible. None of those things were in place. It reminds me of Genesis 1, when God created the earth, it was formless and void and empty. God spoke and he filled that emptiness with structure and with form, and then he filled that structure, that emptiness with beauty and with life. But it wasn't so until he spoke it. God spoke it into existence. So when Paul and Barnabas go into Philippi and they find a few women gathered by the river praying together, it tells us that there was no synagogue, there was no officially organized religious place where God-fearers could seek God. It showed us that the worship of God in that place was so small and the culture around it was so hostile that they had to go find a place outside the city, outside the gates, not in the city limits, outside the gates. And we know that's true because in a few pages we read that Paul is arrested because the, a demon-possessed girl is walking around, right, telling people, listen to these people, they're going to tell you about how to get right with God. And finally Paul turned around and annoyed with this demon-possessed person, drives the demon out of her and her owners realize they can't make money off her anymore, and they start a riot, and Paul and Barnabas are thrown into prison, and the Philippian jailer gives his life to Christ. I'm saying all this to help you see 
that Mark and Meredith and Aiden and Liam and Emerson and Nolan, uh, when you get there in Guatemala, in many ways the work of God that he has called you to is formless and empty. It doesn't exist yet. There are people like Lydia in Philippi who are not yet Christ followers, who are not yet trusting in the Lord, who have not yet heard of the gospel. And the very fact that God is calling you to a place like he called Paul to Macedonia, the very fact that he's calling you there is because there is a place where his glory is not known. And he has prepared you, and at the same time you can be confident that just like Paul when he went to Corinth, God said, don't worry, nobody's going to attack you, but I have many people in this city. Paul hadn't even started mission work there, and God's saying, I already have called people, and it's only going to be a matter of 18 months before the people who don't yet know him that I know, and I'm preparing them, and I'm preparing you, Paul. It's only a matter of time before those connect, and the work of God is demonstrated, and after a few years, it's no longer formless and empty and void, but it is filled with the gospel of reconciliation and redemption. Our hope and prayer is that when you land on the field, in the mission field, that over the course of years there are um, people whose lives are redeemed, families that are restored, broken lives, abusive families, abusive uh, situations, terrible things that are happening that God says, I want, because I care about them, through Jesus Christ I want you to show your love and the gospel and preach truth and that there would be redemption and reconciliation and that one day uh, it would not be formless and empty and void but you're going to a place that God is preparing you and calling you into and I want to encourage you in this before we enter into a time of prayer here I want to encourage you in this that oftentimes the work of missions uh, I've been church planter twice I've worked with four other church plants and in different places, I've been in short-term mission trips in, on five continents a dozen times in different mission fields. And what I've noticed from interviewing lots of missionaries is that the work of missions, the work of daily missions, is day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. And it's so mundane, seemingly, will tempt you to think that maybe you made a mistake. <laughs> Maybe we misread something because ministry can appear to be massively routine and ordinary. I was telling a guy called the ministry Pat uh, last night. My first couple years of ministry, I realized, all right, so most of my time is spent setting up tables and chairs <laughs> and cleaning bathrooms and wiping tables and learning how to serve God in the mundane and learning how to pray as I do ordinary behind-the-scenes, quiet work. Things like what Dave's doing up in the sound booth up there, just twisting knobs and just doing behind-the-scenes work. Things that seem ordinary, but as you integrate a relationship with God and a prayerful dependence and a passion for intercession and seeking God and fellowshipping with Him, even in those mundane things, you, you have no idea how many people are watching you. And don't be tempted to think that you made a mistake. Fruit, spiritual fruit, can seem elusive. And the work of ministry is often abandoned because it can't always be quantified. Don't ever let anybody pressure you into thinking that your time there is a waste, that you don't have any converts. 
You can think of missionaries from the 1700s, the 1800s, Hudson Taylor and others, ministers in, in China and in India. When they were kicked out of China in the 1950s, they thought that Christianity would fall apart and all the missionaries left there. And when they uh, opened it back up, they realized that the underground church movement had birthed millions and millions of churches and Christ followers. India is the same thing. Uh, the work of ministry can seem mundane and boring, and it's often abandoned because there's pressure to quantify it. But the reality is that you live a life abiding in Jesus Christ, allowing other people insight and to watch you do that, and the work of ministry happens with you rarely seeing a finished product. Sometimes I just go home and mow my yard because I want to see something ugly be finished in an hour, right? And then I'll just mow it again just to make the stripes line up. And Because in my work, I never see, oh, well, this person went from here to here in a matter of hours or days. It's just the work of ministry can seem slow and tedious. It's rare that you see a life dramatically changed right before your very eyes. Yet God can do that. But even if he doesn't, you persevere in ministry and in abiding in Christ. And with that in mind, uh, I want to invite us all um, into just a, a time of corporate prayer. I'm going to ask Mark and Meredith and um, Aiden and Liam and Nolan and Emerson. Did I get all your names right? Sometimes I goof them up, but I'm going to ask them all to come up here. And as you feel comfortable just to gather in their proximity, um, I'm just going to ask you to enter into a time of prayer. Uh, there may be some light music playing, uh, but really the goal here is, is not for us to be receivers of ministry, but us to be ministers, all of us together, Christ followers, just to enter into a time of prayer for them. I've asked a, a teenager or two to come and pray um, over them as well and their children. But just because I didn't ask you to pray doesn't mean I don't want you to pray. Um, this is just an extended season of prayer. If you'd like to stay where you are and pray silently, you're welcome to do that. If you want to take a knee and just sort of make your chair an altar there where you want to seek the Lord. Uh, if you would like to gather, maybe somebody else in, in the foyer or somewhere else, um, you just feel free for the next 15 or so minutes um, just to allow the Spirit of the Lord to lead. Maybe you want to get your Bible out and read and just allow the Lord to speak to you. However you want to uh, engage in this time, uh, I want to invite you to pray for them. And I want you to invite you to pray for the DeStefanos, maybe in the sense that if this was you, if this was your family, if these were your children, if this was you leaving your house and your career and your friends and your family and your country, how, what would you want people to pray for you about? And how would you, uh, what would you do if you were in their situation? I want you to also pray for them in terms of um, allowing them, one of the prayers that I've been praying for them is that God would give them space to acclimate, to learn the language, to mix into the culture, there are desperate missionaries there serving in the kingdom that will want them and see them as a massive asset and a resource. And, and the temptation would be just to bog them down in busy work before they could ever really acclimate. I don't want you just to pray with wisdom and discernment. If scripture comes to mind, pray that scripture over them. Pray loudly, pray silently, pray on your knees, pray standing, however, uh, whatever your posture of prayer is. I want you to engage in a time of prayer. Uh, so, DeStefanos, please come up this way. And, um, and I'll close us when I, I sense that we're, that we're finishing up. Um, you come up as well if you feel led to just gather around them. And let's just spend a bit of time in prayer.